here's Pastor Ed with a brief preview of today's edition of Voice of Faith. Christ Jesus came to do the Father's will. He was here to execute the Father's purposes. He was here to do what the Father wanted him to do. Jesus was caught up in the Father's will. Oh, that Christians would be caught up in the Father's will. Father, what would you have me to do? And the attitude of Christ was one of humility, one of service. Jesus didn't come to earth for his own gratification. Really, think about it. Would you want to go somewhere if you knew you were going to be rejected, tortured, and forced to die by one of the most horrendous means possible? Jesus, however, was completely caught up in his Father's will and purpose, and therefore was willing to go through all of that for the future good that it would do. And the greater good continues into us and can continue through us to others if we too get caught up in God's will for all people. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's message entitled, Spiritual House Cleaning. If Jesus were to come and visit this place, what would concern him? What would he be concerned with? He has the authority. It's his authority. I believe that he would look at wrong doctrines and wrong lifestyles. He would look at the church and say, do you condone what I condemn? Do you approve what God disapproves? Are you endeavoring so to fit into the culture that you have lost your distinctiveness? Uh, When Christ comes, we should have an obedient heart and say, like Samuel of old, speak, Lord, for your servant listens. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church Again and again in the book of Revelation that's repeated seven times to the various churches, the seven churches. Often uh, we picture Jesus only as meek and mild, a comforter. Someone who makes us feel good about ourselves, good about everything. We don't portray Jesus the way the Bible does. Yes, it portrays him as a lamb of God. Yes, he is meek. But he also is a lion of the tribe of Judah. He also has anger, and yet he doesn't sin. Just like Paul says, be angry and sin not. Jesus becomes angry. You could see his anger. In Mark chapter 3, verse It says he looked around at them in anger and was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. In John chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, he goes into the temple courts. He finds people selling things. Now, they're in the outer court, the court of the Gentiles. That's the only place that the Gentiles could worship. There was another court, the court of the women. Then there was another court where the men would go in and they would worship. In this large outer court, they had moved from the Mount of Olives the business of changing Roman money into Jewish money. And of course, there was an interest paid on that. They had moved the sale of the sacrifices because you had to come to the temple and offer a sacrifice that was unblemished, that was pure. And they moved it all into the temple courts for a matter of convenience. And I am sure, as biblical scholars point out, that the priestly class made some money on that as they rented out space, franchises. They began the profit. 
And there was so much noise, so much distraction, that a Gentile would find it very difficult to come in and worship and commune with God at this high and holy feast of Passover where there were approximately two and a half million people in the city at that time. Crowded in for this festive season. Jesus was greatly troubled and he became angry. If Jesus came in and he looked at us and he said, I want you to appreciate and value one another and even the different forms of worship because they're worshiping me. I think that's one of the things that Jesus would change about this house of worship. In Revelation, you see Jesus speak to the churches. Listen to his words. There's a cutting edge to it. There's a holy anger to it. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And that was a message to the church of Ephesus. This was a wrong doctrine, a wrong teaching in the church. Jesus said, I'm glad you hate it, because I hate it too. You can tell a lot about a person by the things he loves or she loves. You can tell a lot about a person by the things they hate. We need to hate certain things. Because if you can't hate, you really don't love. It's the other side of the coin. The church of Smyrna. Now I know, please, don't send me an email on this one. I know I'm going to rattle some cages. But I know I'm right. And I'm not saying it arrogantly. Revelation 2.9 I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Hold on, track with me. Jesus called the Jewish people who persecuted believers in Asia Minor and slandered them the synagogue of Satan. Stop, pause, camp, think. Do you think that heaven approves of everything that the Jewish nation does? Kai is a part of our congregation. He grew up in Bethlehem with Agmar, his wife. When Israel was formed as a nation, they went in and they took a lot of Palestinians out with no regards for their family no regards for their feelings and just persecuted them Kyle is a Christian Dagmar is a Christian they have a home in Bethlehem they can't get into I had another congregation whose family another member who was in another church he was an Arab and he was a Christian and when the Jewish occupancy came in they persecuted they beat up Arabs and they were believers. Amos, come on out of the Old Testament, Amos. Do you approve that? Jeremiah, what do you have to say about that? Isaiah, 
Jesus. We should not give blanket support to things that are wrong. I know it's not popular. And I believe Israel has a right to be a nation. And I believe we ought to pray for that and support that. But it doesn't mean everything they do is right. Don't you think that the Heavenly Father may be disciplining them? Do you know the highest percentage of atheists in any nation is Israel? When I was in Israel, at the time, I had a Jewish guide. He was very good. This was years ago. At that very time, I met with Christian Messianic Jews who were being persecuted by Jews around them. Messianic congregations that were being attacked and they were being persecuted. And my Jewish guy told me this. I said, why are you, and I shocked him when I said this, why are you so anti-Semitic? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, nobody loves the Jewish nation more than Messianic Jews, and yet you persecute them, yet they're not allowed to vote. He said, well, we consider them like Benedict Arnold. If you accept Christ, you're a traitor to the Jewish nation. What would Jesus say? Now, I know we don't want to think. I don't say that proudly or arrogantly. But we have to think and read and understand what the scriptures really teach. Yes, God has brought the nation of Israel back and they're a tremendous time clock for prophecy. And we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But we also need to understand something else. That God in heaven sees perfectly. And Jesus himself, when he spoke to the church, he said, yeah, they're of the synagogue, but of Satan. Well, the church of Pergamon, verse 14. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food, sacrificed to idols, by committing sexual immorality. Balaam was a prophet who wanted to bring down judgment on Israel during their time in the 40 years of the wilderness. But he couldn't curse them because God had blessed them. And so Balak said, listen... How can I get them to be cursed? He said, I know how you can do it. Just teach them to sin. Teach them to intermarry. Teach them to worship other gods. And God will judge them. And that's exactly what happened. See, because God judges sin, whether it's in his people or outside of the kingdom. He judges sin no matter where it is. That's scripture. That's what the word teaches. I I need to bring back a forgotten word in church circles. The doctrine of Balaam is a doctrine of worldliness. That you could live any way you want and get away with it. That grace means you could live in disgrace. No. What gets Jesus angry? What gets him angry? When the doctrine of Balaam, of compromise, is taught. When the church becomes worldly. The church of Thyatira. 
Revelation 2.20. And it just went into the second chapter. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I believe that immorality grieves the heart of God. We can't vicariously watch pornography and think we're innocent. We can't indulge ourselves. And I know it's so difficult in this culture. It really is. Because you go on the computer or you watch the television or even the cell phones. We're constantly bombarded with temptation. But Christ wants us to be pure. What would Jesus change in our church? Maybe it would change the way we think about our world. He would change the way we respond to worship. Well, that music doesn't interest me. I'll read my bulletin. Well, the sermon this morning doesn't have me on the edge of my seat. And so I'm not going to put the effort to mentally engage in it. Well, you know, I, I, I'm just going to worship when I feel like I want to worship. No, 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 all of that. I think God would change us on the inside. He would challenge us so that we might worship him in spirit and in truth, that we might honor him. In Psalm 89, verse 7, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. Reverence cannot be a forgotten word. It cannot be something that we discard. It has to be something that we incorporate in our worship of God. If we're not reverent, we're irreverent. And irreverent worship never touches the heart of God. Sometimes we're more caught up in our feelings than we are caught up in the spirit. Sometimes we're more caught up in the moment than we're caught up in the spirit on the Lord's day. And God calls us to treat him with reverence. And I know that our culture is not like that. We look at Jesus' authority. It's his house, not our house. He makes the rules. We don't make the rules. We just follow them. We're stewards, yes. And Jesus does get angry. And there should be a holy fear when the lion of Judah roars. Now to get more personal. You say, wait a minute, Pastor. To get more personal, the cleaning out of our hearts. In 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17, do you not know that you are a temple, God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Uh, We no longer worship in a temple, but the composite church, the people of God, make up that temple, and we ourselves are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we have to be very careful about how we act, our activities. In Titus 2.14, it says, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous 
for good works. We were called to do the right thing in the right way with the right attitude. We were called to be active in serving the Lord. How are our activities? You know, I'll talk to the young people. The youth pastors asked me to. <laughs> I'm only kidding on that. I know that you love texting even more than talking on the cell phone. You know, the pastors have told me that. They say, oh, no, we get more text messages than we even get phone messages. And, you know, it's amazing how technology is so changing everything. But with that comes another set of temptations. Jesse was 18 years old, dating a young man. And she did sexting, S-E-X-T-I-N-G. She sent a picture of herself nude to her boyfriend. Well, they broke up. And you know where that picture went? All over the school. Everywhere that Jesse went, in Sycamore High School in Ohio, They were familiar with that picture. She was so embarrassed. Now, she was interviewed on the media, and she encouraged young people not to do the sex thing. And she said about the humiliation she felt. She said how she would sometimes just stay in the girls' bathroom because she didn't want to go out and hear the teasing in the hallways. And after eight months, it didn't stop. Her mother went into her room one day and there saw her in the closet she had hung herself and her cell phone was thrown on the center of her bedroom floor. Her mother Cynthia just mourned the death of her beautiful daughter. It doesn't matter what everybody is doing. You're a Christian and you have a different set of standards that you're guiding your life by and you're marching to. God looks at our activities when we're in secret and when we're in public, when we're in private and when we're with others. All of those things matter to the Lord. In Revelation 3.19 it says this, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous and repent. Again, we're to be zealous. We're to be passionate about turning to God and repenting. Our attitudes in Philippians 2.5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus came to do the Father's will. He was here to execute the Father's purposes. He was here to do what the Father wanted him to do. Jesus was caught up in the Father's will. Oh, that Christians would be caught up in the Father's will. Father, what would you have me to do? And the attitude of Christ was one of humility, one of service. If Jesus were to sit down with us, what would he say about the attitudes? I mean, you know those things that you sort of accumulate in the attic of your mind? Hurts, offenses, tinge of revenge. And they come out now and then in your caustic words and your quick to criticize. Uh, What's in the basement area of our lives? 
the things we just stuff down there, hide, don't want other people to see. What's in our hearts? In Psalm 19.12 it says, How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. We labor so to hide our sins from one another. We hide them from our own memory. We forget. Let the Holy Spirit come. And it's painful to show us where we're wrong and where we're arrogant and where we're sinful. And it, it, It's painful. But do you know it's good for us? That God would convict us? That we would humble ourselves and say, Lord, you know, these uh, sexual thoughts are wrong. God, this selfishness is wrong. God, this attitude is wrong. Our activities, our attitudes, we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. In this book, it says that Jesus did miracles in Jerusalem. We don't know what signs he did or miracles he did, but listen to what it says. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. That is the Greek word pistol, means believe. It's used commonly through the book of John. They believed, but I think the reason that Jesus did not commit himself to them is because they believed the miracles but they didn't believe enough to commit their lives and change their hearts because look what it says it says many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them let me illustrate it now John's a good believer so don't mistake this But if if I'm representing Jesus I come over and John is saying Pay attention to me, Jesus. Here, Jesus, I believe. Jesus just ignores him. Doesn't even pay attention to him. He won't commit himself. Why does the Lord not do that? Because of the type of their faith, because of the measure of their faith, because that faith was a faith that maybe would have tried to manipulate Jesus. You know, we do that. We manipulate the Lord. Lord, I know you'll give me what I want. Lord, I know you'll fit into my plans. No, 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 no. It, it's, we're fitting into his plans. We're living the life that he wants us to live. Now, we can bring our request to him. Certainly, there's truth in that. But we submit our lives to him. In verse 24, but on his part, he did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. If he came into church today and Jesus walked into our midst... What would he change in our church? More pointedly, what would he change in each of us? What would he say about the way we live and lived at our life this past week? Well, that's all the time we have for today's edition of Voice of Faith. 
with Pastor Ed Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. There's more to come from Pastor Ed's look at the Gospel of John. We encourage you to download today's message again to review. Simply log on to voiceoffaithradio.com and select today's date from the Voice of Faith media plan. Again, that's voiceoffaithradio.com. Maybe today's message brought a family member or a friend to mind. You can share today's message via Facebook and Twitter by simply logging on to voiceoffaithradio.com and clicking on today's date. There you'll find all the options to share. Now we'd like to invite you to join us at Faith Assembly for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. For driving directions and more information, log on to voiceoffaithradio.com and follow the link to Faith Assembly. Or feel free to give us a call at 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Voice of Faith with Dr. Ed Jones. We invite you to join Pastor Ed as he continues teaching through the Gospel of John right here on Voice of Faith.